I want to tell you first a story. There was a young man in the late 60s in New Orleans, Louisiana, who, as many young men do, dreamed of being a professional football player. Despite being one of the first black high school students uh, in his community to be integrated in the 60s, his athletic achievements began to pay off. He was noticed by some college recruiters, and he was uh, picked up by Southern University to play for them and given a scholarship. He went to Southern, and while he was there, he was noted again. And he was chosen by Time Magazine to be on their All-American teams. And then in 1971, he was drafted as a first-round draft pick by the Los Angeles Rams. And he went to play for the Rams in his first year. He earned the title All-Pro. He was chosen as the L.A. Rams Rookie of the Year, the Wheaties Rookie of the Year, and the National Football Conference Rookie of the Year. Isaiah Robertson started in 163 consecutive games, underscoring his commitment and dedication. He had a host of, of other football accolades, things that he had done. He was very famous, and indeed at the height of his career, he married the daughter of the then owner of the Denver Broncos, becoming one of the wealthiest African Americans at the time. At, at the height of his career, he owned 14 homes stretching from Hawaii to New York. And he retired after 12 years of playing in the NFL with a very solid career. He purchased a cell phone company and began to work, but it was among the social elites, among the wealthy in California, that he got involved in the social drug scene. And his first time to use cocaine, he spent 29 straight days in the dope house. $25,000 later, he emerged fully addicted to cocaine. For three and a half years, he would battle this addiction. He lost his family, he lost his homes, he lost his friends. And at the end... Two drug dealers broke into his house and beat him lifeless there in the foyer of his home, knocked out his teeth with the barrel of a shotgun, put it in his mouth, cocked the shotgun, and it misfired. And he was left that night bleeding on the ground in his home, a broken man. Now, we may never own 14 homes. We may not be ones who will be noted as having this wonderful football professional skill. But there is something we share in common with Isaiah. And that's this, that we all come to places in our lives in which, whether by our own creation or indeed simply by the fact that life brings circumstances to us, we all face adversity. And so the question we're going to ask and answer this morning is how can we overcome adversity? How is it as Christians that we can overcome adversity? We're going to be looking in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open there. If not, there's one in the seat back in front of you. The Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 2. 
The text reads, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now, let me be clear on exactly what the word is. Often in church, we have our own language. We like to say, well, brother, I was praying and reading the word, but When you read in the text here, the word doesn't mean the Bible. The word rather means the message of the kingdom. This is the message that Jesus is proclaiming. That message that God had come and was coming in him in order to release the captives. Just like Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt, so also Jesus had come to lead sinners out of darkness in the new exodus. Jesus declares this in Luke 4 when He opens the scroll in the synagogue and He reads Isaiah 61.1 For the Spirit of the Lord is upon Me, for He has anointed Me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them who are bound, and to give sight to those who are blind, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is... Jesus' message. That is the message which Jesus is proclaiming. And the house is so full and the outside is so full that no one can get to Jesus. In verse 3, some men came bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. Now, I need you to understand something. There are several issues here that we need to deal with. Number one, notice this is not the paralytic Joe or the paralytic Fred or the paralytic Sarah. He's simply known as the paralytic. I just wonder today how many people come here and look aesthetically good on the outside and yet inside there is something by which they've allowed themselves to be defined. See, sometimes your problem winds up defining you. Do you allow your circumstance to define who you are or will you allow God to define who you are. Now they bring him and they can't get to Jesus. And so, now, the common answer here, I don't know if you're anything like me, but if my wife and I were to carry a friend to Jesus and things weren't, we weren't able to reach him, I guarantee you the conversation would begin something like, I told you we weren't going to be able to do this. See, we should have never picked this guy up and carried him all the way down here. And so I just wonder, what kind of faith, what kind of tenacity does it take to go the extra mile, to not allow the circumstances that you're looking at today to prevent you from getting to Jesus? The paralytic and his friends were not moved simply by the opposition. They were moved rather by their faith in what God could do. And so I submit to you that we are all, in some sense, 
trapped on our mats. Let me explain. The, I want you to imagine what the paralytic's existence was like. I want you to pick a spot on the wall. No, not a colorful spot. I want you to pick a dark spot. A boring spot. And that's the spot that you're allowed to look at night and day. Night and day. Day after day. Because you can't get up. You're confined. You are held down. You are restricted. You can't help yourself. How does that feel? How does it feel to have something in your life so oppressive that it restricts your living on a daily basis? That is the paralytic's mat. That is the mat upon which he is confined day in and day out. And he doesn't even have the strength or the power to carry himself to Jesus. What does that tell you about him, that he would have friends? What does that tell you about his friends, that they would be willing to carry this man to Jesus? I submit to you that we all have our mat, our point of shame, that thing in our life which confines us, which constricts us, which prevents us from being all it is that we can be. And we all need to get to Jesus in order to be healed. You see, that's the problem. Now, this man was confined to the mat. This man needed a community of friends to help him. These men were faced with seemingly insurmountable barriers to reaching Jesus. Now, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, notice He didn't see the paralytic's faith. Jesus was not moved in this instance by this man's individual faith. Now, I hate to tell you this. This might cut across the grain of our American individualism. But sometimes God isn't looking for you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it on your own. Sometimes God is looking for you to be involved in a community. See, that requires vulnerability. That, that's why here at Rock Point, there's an emphasis on small groups. Because we believe in biblical community. We believe that it's by means of community, not perfect people, but broken people together in a group that might actually be able to hear from God and help each other and carry each other along. But when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, notice, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. For who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in His Spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And He said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up. He took his mat. 
And he went home. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. The strange thing here is that the paralytic comes to Jesus with an expectation. He comes to Jesus knowing what his need is. I just wonder how many times we come to church and tell God what it is we need. But when he finally encounters Jesus, Jesus doesn't say to him, go and be healed. Jesus forgives his sin. Jesus does for him something he didn't come asking for. I wonder if we come to God and submit ourselves to Him, if He might do something beyond that which we think we need, beyond that which we are so sure will fix our circumstance. Because it's easy to tell God what He should do. But often when we get there, we find out what we thought we needed was not what we needed all along. There was something greater, something bigger, something deeper that needed to take place. And that's what we find here. That's what occurs. And so we are all trapped on our mats and we need Jesus to heal us. And God wants to heal you if you will bring Him your mat. We know this from Jesus' declaration. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The recovery of sight to the blind. Set free the captives. That is the mission statement of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. That's what His Gospel is that He's proclaiming and enacting. That's the kingdom that He issues forth. And you understand now that Jesus comes in order to fulfill that which God had promised. To bring in the reign, the rule of God. This new age in which God acts in a new way through His Son among us. And so then you ask, how is it that I get off my mat? Well, firstly, in order to get off your mat, you've got to identify your mat. You see, I can't tell you what your mat is. I don't know what it is that prevents you, that restrains you, that oppresses and holds you down from being all it is that you can be for God, from serving at the greatest capacity. I can't tell you what that is. But you can. You can identify your mat. Now some, I've got some suggestions. Some people are trapped by fear. We understand here fear of safety, fear of money, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of fear. That fear that, that keeps us from doing anything. Nothing is sadder to me than an individual who can't step out and see what is possible because they're confined by what is impossible. Because they allow that which they think they cannot do to control that which, which they can. You ever met anybody like that? Hey, let's do this. No, we can't do that. 
Hey, let's do that. No, we can't do that. In fact, that's what the teachers of the law are doing to Jesus. Jesus says your, son, your, your sins are forgiven. You can't do that. I wonder how long you're going to listen to the people telling you you can't or whether you're going to choose to allow and believe that God can do anything. That anything is really possible with God. That you really can overcome your own fear, your own shame, your own pain in order that you can serve God. Shame. We carry around pain. Pain of abuse. Pain of divorce. Pain of the things that we've gone through. We have addictions to food, to sex, to alcohol, to shopping. I can't tell you what your mat is, but you can. You've got to identify your mat. And secondly, you've got to involve yourself in a community of faith. See, this requires us to be vulnerable. To allow people to know us and to submit ourselves to know others. We've got to be involved in a community of faith because there are things that we face in life, bags that we carry, mats that we are confined to that prevent us from getting up ourselves. I don't know if you've ever had anything in your life that you were unable to do alone. But I have. In my life, when I was 19 years old, I had battled heroin addiction for years, off and on, in and out, in and out of treatment. I overdosed, they brought me back to life. I went to jail, I got out of jail. I went to treatment, I got out of treatment. And the simple fact was that at the end of the day, the best treatments in the country, the best doctors and shrinks and everybody else couldn't help me. They couldn't fix me. In fact, I couldn't fix me. That was my problem. I thought that I could. I thought that surely I could pull myself up and I could overcome this mat. I could get up off my mat all by myself. But what I found was that it wasn't until I was completely broken, broken enough to allow others to get to know me and to get to know others. To submit myself to a community of people who were like me, who were able to carry me to Jesus when I could not walk. I wonder what it is in your life today that you're unable to pull yourself by the bootstraps up. What is it that you need Jesus? And what is it that you need community to take you to Him? 
We've got to involve ourselves in biblical community. We've got to be willing to go to any lengths. Notice that the paralytic and his friends didn't just turn around when things were difficult. When things got tough, they didn't give up. Now, if you're a parent, you understand this clearly. Because when there's something wrong with your child, you're not just about ready to let some doctor tell you there's nothing that he can do. You'll find a second opinion. When, when you've got a problem in your life and it relates to your kids, you can find every reason to break through every barrier and go to any length. But I just wonder why it is that when it comes to ourselves, when it comes to really breaking through that which confines us, that thing that we've allowed to define us like the paralytic on his mat, like that thing that you don't tell your neighbor, that that you haven't told the people in your church. See, we live in these big, beautiful houses in this nice, wonderful neighborhood, but we don't let anybody know that on the inside we're broken and we can't talk to our neighbor because what would they think? And we don't talk to people at church even though that's where sick people go because they might think something about us. But what we need to do is submit ourselves to community and be willing to do whatever it is, whatever it takes to reach Jesus. Are we willing to do whatever it takes to tear off the roof piece by piece? How bad do you want to be free? And when we reach Jesus, there's something that takes place. And if you're not careful, you'll miss it. Jesus looks at the paralytic and He says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. I submit to you today that God may redeem you from your mat for a purpose. For you to carry your mat and show the world. Let me me be very clear. I don't have a lot of experience in accounting, and I'm not a chemist. There are a lot of things that I don't do well. But I do know one thing. I know this about God. I know that when it is you've identified your mat, when you go, when you find that thing which confines you, for me, that was addiction, among other things. And when you're able to submit yourself to God, to find others to help you, to carry you, and when you've become willing to go to any length, when God finally changes your life, when you break free of that shame, there's a reason. And it's not so you can feel good about yourself. And it's not so you can say, hey, look at me. Look what God has done for me. It's in order that you can go, get up, and take your mat. Take that point of shame. Take that thing that has confined you. And you take it with you. You don't leave it behind. See, that's the problem. We often think that we want to break free of our problems and walk away. And that way no one will know what it is that we've done and what it is that we've been through. But when Jesus redeems you from your mat, when He calls you to get up off the mat, He tells you to take your mat with you because the world needs to see your mat. 
That's the testimony. That is the way that God works. That is what He has redeemed you from these circumstances for. In order that other people might see Him in you. Might see His works and praise our God. Now, I started off by giving you the illustration of Isaiah Robertson. Now, I want to be clear that... I'm not a football fan, and frankly, I don't like football metaphors in church. They don't speak to women, and I'm not a sports guy. The reason I told you about Isaiah is specific. Because 19 years ago, when God called him to get up off his mat, God sent him to this place called Set Free in California. A little podunk Christian rehab. And that's where he got clean. And some people who influenced his life were not people of his social status, were not people of his financial class. But they were people who had something that Isaiah didn't have. And that was sobriety. And he got clean. And when he did, he came here to Texas to a little nowhere town in Maybank and started a recovery program for men 19 years ago. And for 19 years, this football player has been out in the country helping young men get clean and sober because that's what God has done in his life. He's not rich. He doesn't own 14 homes. But he spends day in and day out working with people, helping them. And if it weren't for him getting up off his mat and taking his mat with him, you understand now, he doesn't have to. He could walk away and do a host of things because of his background and never look back to drugs or alcohol. Never have to discuss it with another person again. But because he took his mat and carried it with him, when it was that I and my mother sat across the table from the eighth and final treatment center that I had gotten kicked out of. And the executive director looked across the table at my mother and said, I don't know where you can take him. He cannot come here. And frankly, he will likely go to prison or die. He needs long-term care and I don't know where to refer you. That crazy football player answered the phone when my mother called. And when he found out that I was one that nobody else would take, he took me. It's because he took his mat and showed it to the world that when I needed help, when I needed a community, to carry me to Jesus, I was able to find it. I just wonder how many lives God could use you to influence if you would identify your mat today. If you would choose to involve yourself in a community of faith. If you would be willing to go to any length. 
Remember, God may redeem you from your mat in order for you to carry it and show the world. Get up, take your mat, and go.